You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To the test, tie your napkin round your neck, Shelly, and we provide the rest. Hi, I'm Andrew Child, and welcome to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast, a companion piece to the Routledge Press publication, 50 Key Stage Musicals, which is available for purchase by going to routledge.com or clicking the link below in today's show description. Today's episode focuses on Chapter 37. Beauty and the Beast, and with us today is director of a recent production of this musical at the Olney Theater Center in Washington, D.C., Marsha Milgram Dodge. Marsha Milgram Dodge's work as a director and choreographer has been seen throughout the United States, in Canada, England, Asia, Denmark, and the Middle East, in theaters on Broadway, such as the 2009 revival of Ragtime, for which she was nominated for a Tony Award for Best Direction, as well as off-Broadway and at acclaimed regional theaters, such as the New York City Opera, John F. Kennedy Center of the Performing Arts, Arena Stage, Goodman Theater, Denver Center Theater Company, Glimmerglass Festival, La Jolla Playhouse, and many, many others. Marsha, thank you for chatting with me today. I'm happy to be here, Andrew. Thanks for inviting me. So talk to me a little bit about your perceptions, your beliefs around beauty and the beast. Aha. Um, well, you know, I, I saw the musical when it first opened in New York, but before that I saw the Disney animated feature. And when I soaked it up, it made me think that this was a Broadway musical. Mm. I mean, Howard Ashman and, um, and uh, Alan Menken had written a Broadway musical that was an animated feature. And it had to me all of the great bones of a big fat Broadway musical. So when it became a big fat Broadway musical, I wasn't surprised. And, and actually I was very good friends with Gary Beach who played Lumiere in the original production. And so I got to sort of hear about the process of development when they did it down. I believe it was in Atlanta or Texas. I can't remember where they first launched it, but somewhere down south. And, you know, Gary would keep me posted on how things were progressing. And, you know, seeing it on Broadway was exciting because it had all of the Disney theme park 
uh, bells and whistles that you come to expect from a big Disney musical. So it was um, really interesting when Jason Loweth offered me the job at Olney Theater Center, because by the time he reached out to me, my uh, method of doing shows and reinvigorating revivals and mm -hmm. looking at classic musicals and coming at it with a modern lens um, was firmly cemented. I mean, I've been doing you know this for about 40 years and in the last 15 years is when I really leaned into why do you have to tell this story today? So what mm. is it about bringing a show to life um, on any stage, anywhere, that's meaningful for the audience that you're telling the story to. So when Jason asked me, I said, you know, I'm not gonna do your grandmother's Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. It was like, I'm not gonna do, I can't do a Disney <laughs> Beauty and the Beast. You know what I mean? In, uh -huh. in, and I'm not a replica director. Right. So I am not going to seek out all of the casting that was done originally. I'm going to dig in and find my clues in the text. And opening the script and reading the very first page and discovering that this prince is angry and lashes out at an old woman simply for bringing him a flower, I thought, okay, what's going on with this guy? What is the problem? Huh. Why is he so mad? What's happening? You know, where are his parents? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that's so, a big one. Yeah. So I, you know, and I know it's a fairy tale and it's sort of a once upon a time, but for me, it's always relationships, relationships, relationships. So it was all about figuring out what the relationship of the young, of the prince was to the beggar woman that becomes an enchantress that puts this spell on him and the castle. And where are his, where is his family and how does he, what happens to him in 10 years? Because mm. when we when we meet him as a beast, it's 10 years later. The spell has been on the castle for 10 years. So it really allowed me to dig underneath and smuggle in some deeper meaning to these relationships and these characters. And I thought of Evan Ruggiero. Mm -hmm. I mean, I said to Jason, I want a a man who has challenges, who has to overcome more than simply becoming a beast, that there's something in his life that, that launched his anger and his mistrust and his isolation prior to that, and I wanna see it. So what we did was we created, a, in the prologue, we saw the prince as a 10-year-old boy in a wheelchair with one leg. And he's wheeled in by Cogsworth, who's not transformed yet. Mm -hmm. And he's offered tea by Mrs. Potts, who's not transformed yet. Okay. And we see the behavior he has towards his servants in addition to the behavior he has towards the beggar woman the in, mm. or the, enchant the old lady, the enchantress. So I wanted to plant some of those seeds. And Evan and I talked a lot about giving a backstory. Now, Evan overcame gr the greatest odds, mm -hmm. lost his leg when he was 19, and learned how to teach himself how to tap dance again. He was already a fantastic tap dancer, and he embraced 
Lord Pegleg based on <laughs> Pegleg Bates and said, I'm going to be a one-legged tap dancer now. And so his career really blossomed as a young adult as a tap dancer. But I knew he had to be able to sing. I kind of followed him around. I stalked him a little bit on YouTube. <laughs> and, and I said to Jason and Chris Eustra, the music supervisor, I said, all right, this is the guy I want. Let's make sure he can sing the score the way Chris, you know, needs the score sung. And so we brought him into an audition and I didn't, I didn't need to see him dance or anything, you know, mm -hmm. as the beast. I wanted to see, read him and I wanted to hear him sing. And he walked in and said, you know, I could do Lumiere. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know you could do Lumiere. That's easy. I want to uh -huh. see you do the beast. So he started reading and he brought this beautiful arrested development approach to the role, which is what I had been thinking happened. You know, this was a boy at 10 years old, probably recently lost his leg in some tragic accident where his parents perished. And now he's in this castle and all of a sudden all of his servants are enchanted objects and he's isolating up in the West Wing and not talking to anybody. So it was a real opportunity. And I said to Evan, are you okay navigating that kind of pain as a source for your character in this work? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been, you know, by then it was 12 years ago that he had lost his leg and mm -hmm. he was, you know, it was, it was a wound that had healed and he was able to really recall moments when he struggled with understanding the why of what was happening to him. So he brought so much to the role simply by being a man who had really deeply felt loss in his life. Mm. And then you start to read about Belle and Belle is the most beautiful woman in the village. And Belle is got her nose in books and she escapes through adventures and you know, wild, you know, feats of fancy. And that's where her heart and soul are. And she's perceived by the rest of the town as being odd. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I, I had worked with Jade Jones and we had done 110 in the Shade together. I saw her do Little Red Riding Hood at the same theater, at the Ford's Theater. And my husband turned to me and said, Jay Jones. And I said, I am already on it. And mm. so the conversations were about expanding the definition of beauty. There's no reason why a plus size queer woman with very dark skin cannot be perceived as beautiful. And everything I did in conceiving of the show and telling the story was to celebrate diversity and we sought to find diversity in our company mm -hmm. and we we said she is the most beautiful and the company looked at her with envy and wonder and snark every now and then too because that's mm -hmm. what the script calls for but you know what when evan and jade did the scene in act two something there uh-huh and she's reading to him from the King Arthur book and he's hearing a story for the first time mm. and the two of them come together and she says to him, I know what it feels like to be odd. And he looks at her and says, 
you odd? Who would ever think you were odd? So there's this amazing coming together of two disparate characters who have been disenfranchised for various reasons, but now in the context of who they are, a mm -hmm. one-legged man and a, and a plus-size woman of color, it was transformative. And I think that's why we earned the response that we did, which was to some very groundbreaking. And to me, I didn't approach it going, we're gonna be groundbreaking. Uh -huh. I approached it from a sense of truth and honesty of how to tell the story today. And I was like, mm. I can't, I can't celebrate perfection. There's nothing perfect about life. We all strive to be excellent. We strive to look our best. We strive to do our best, but putting a perfect specimen, two perfect specimens that come together in some sort of magazine definition of what perfect should be. And I'll tell There's, the listeners, she's doing air quotes around perfect yeah, specimen I'm, there. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm using a lot of air quotes. There's no such thing as perfect. And I love imperfection. I love messy. I love complicated. I love the underdog. Um, so I really leaned into celebrating all sizes, all colors, all shapes, all ethnicities, even to the point where we gave Maurice a bit of an Eastern European um, culture approach because hmm. Maurice and Belle come from another town and move to this town. They're outsiders. Hmm. And Maurice is an inventor. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be fun that his contraption spit out Matryoshka dolls <laughs> which are Russian stacking dolls, which are really complicated little pieces of art. And right. I thought it would be fun if it spit out a, a Russian stacking, stack, you know, a stacking doll. So, um, and, you know, I also created a moment without changing a word of, mu of, of text or a note of music, I brought in um, the ghost of Belle's mother so that you could see mm. that this was a blended family, that Belle's mother was black, mm -hmm. Maurice was an immigrant, Belle was a product of these two people. I wanted to see that they both felt the deep loss of their mother and, their, and his wife in the song, Need to Know. So I included that and later you meet that same actress as Mrs. Potts. And so oh. it had a kind of Wizard of Ozzy um, connection. I had her do a gesture to Belle as the mother that was repeated by Mrs. Potts so that Belle could see that she was in the company of someone who was going to take care of her, who was going to be kind to her. So I try, that's what I try to do is I try to just dig in there, wrestle with the text, figure out what makes it meaningful now mm. and exploit it in the best sense of the word. And so I was really lucky with this company at Olney because they were extraordinary and not, and you know, the other folks sort of got overshadowed by the um, excitement of Bell and Beast, but mm. our Gaston, Michael Burrell is phenomenal. Our Enchanted Objects, Ayana Blake and as Mrs. Potts and Bobby Smith as 
Lumiere and Dylan Arandando as Cogsworth. I mean, we had a really amazing company of people and every ensemble member too was covering a part and we had swings and, you know, they worked their butts off, but go so, ahead. I'm just, I could just keep laughing. No, this is, <laughs> I, I want to ask for every young director out there, what is the secret when you are mulling over the script, you're having these different ideas, these different facets of the script are standing out to you. I'm watching the videos which came up to me on TikTok and I'm saying, wow, she got a producer to let her put a Disney princess in a jumpsuit. Like every little thing like that. How, what's the secret to getting well, people to go along with your ideas for a, a show, a script that's this iconic? Yeah, well, you know, I, I look at Belle as our, our heroic character. Mm -hmm. I feel like she's a warrior on some level. You know, she's, she's fighting, uh, 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 what's the word? Uh, bullying every day walking through the village. Mm. I mean, she is, she's, she's armed and, you know, with a, as a woman of size myself, I mean, I'm, 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 I've always proudly been a size 12, 14, I fluctuate, um, you know, I'm more comfortable in pants. And so we had the conversation with, uh, Jade and we had the conversation with, um, Avanya Stack, the costume designer, who is also a, a woman of size, um, who isn't a size two. I mean, anything over a 10, according to, you know, Vogue mm -hmm. magazine is fat. So I guess we're all fat girls. So we all had the conversation and, you know, we really explored, um, what would be the transformation because Belle, as much as she, to me, she's a warrior. We found research of beauty, of wonderful, um, uh, imagery that Ivanya took from to help create this idea. I wanted to maintain the blue of the color mm -hmm. because I thought that was to me a key, um, ingredient from the Disney canon. But when you license a script, you do not license the visuals. Mm. So when, and I read the licensing agreement cover to cover because if it says very explicitly, you're not allowed to use any of the original designs. Uh -huh. So I don't understand why people who do Beauty and the Beast are constantly ripping it off. Right. Basically, that's how I look at it. I look at it and say, this was the original director and creative team's idea. Mm -hmm. And that's not my job. My job is to come up with my own ideas. So, you know, we did not set it in a in an environment that changed for every location. I said to Narelle Sissons, my set designer, and I invited her to take this journey with me because she thinks out of the box and mm. doesn't do replicas and isn't going to copy somebody else's ideas. So young, so getting back to your question, young directors read the play read the play and listen to the music and see how it affects you. Don't go down YouTube and watch other people's productions. Don't look at the Disney Broadway production and think that you're supposed to do that. You're not. You're supposed to be the director. You're mm -hmm. supposed to have a vision. You're supposed to create a concept. You're supposed to do all that heavy lifting, all of that work to realize a production that lives truthfully for your theater company 
production wherever you are for today. So I tell my students, and I te I've been teaching a lot since the pandemic started, um, you may think you know Cabaret or Beauty and the Beast or Seussical or Hello Dolly, but not until you open it and read it cleanly from the first word to the, the end it you've got to dig in and wrestle and figure it out and create the relationships and decide what the environment is for the, your storytelling it is mm. not about doing a replica of somebody else's production which i would definitely say if we look at your work that is a through line we see i would say the name marcia milgram dodge um kind of like the name liesel tommy just musical theater in regional theaters across this country, how many thousands of kids do you think there are or thousands of young people who you have directed their first musical? So I'm really curious about keeping that in mind, keeping that sort of reputation for yourself in mind. Were you ever anxious or was there ever any concern that audiences would not respond well to your reimagining of Disney's Beauty and the Beast. That's not my that that's not my concern. My concern, you know, a lot of people will say, "What's the takeaway?" Mm -hmm. It's like that's whatever you think it is. You know, mm -hmm. you as an audience member. My job is to make sure that the choices that are being made are in service to the book, music, and lyrics, and that we are telling a cohesive story, and all elements are working together to achieve that goal. It was important to me. So there were a th couple of things happening in this production. It wasn't simply the casting. It mm -hmm. was also the environment. I, I wanted to do it in a decayed castle. I said, this castle, nobody's mopped the floor and <laughs> dusted for 10 years. They're all atrophying. They can't do their job. Somehow Mrs. Potts is still able to cook, uh -huh. but you know, they figured it out and they're all getting fed. And we're not gonna dwell too much on how that occurs. But <laughs> um, but at the same time, I thought, you know, Lumiere is a, a bell, you know, a, 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 a servant and Cogsworth is a servant and they're not doing their jobs. So the house has gone to crap, right? Mm -hmm. So everything's falling apart. So when the, when the curtain, goes up in our production that's what you see you see a cobwebbed chandelier you see um uh cracked marble you see all of the disarray of what this spell has done to this castle and that was important to me too to create an environment that allowed this story to put the characters front and center and allow them to kind of break through the dis the decay and disarray with their big hearts and their journeys that they take um to discovery of this amazing relationship i also had to take into account that we had designed our set to go into production designed our production to go into production the end of 2020 okay. and then the and then we got postponed and then the insurrection happened Oh, wow. And so when all of a sudden you go back to reading Beauty and the Beast after what happened at the Capitol, the last thing you want to see is a horn is antlers on someone's head. 
you the okay. last thing you want to do is conjure anything to do with that insurrection and what happened at the Capitol. And right. that picture of that man who had antlers and with a show was, for children in with a Washington, show with a family yeah. show in our nation's capital so you know the extra time gave us time to go back and reconsider and we redesigned the antlers of the beast's head because originally wow. his antlers were up that's kind of traditional mm -hmm. you know I, I i wasn't not doing disney i was saying i'm not going to copy other people's work but he's a beast he's described and he's terrifying and he should have antlers he should have mm -hmm. something that's very specific that gives him an animal quality but we redesigned him we redesigned him and made him more like a deer antler that went behind and kind of hugged the back of his head as opposed to anything that was going up hmm. and even where we were able to do a photo shoot and look at them and go, ooh, those are too big. Okay. And then we scaled them down for the actual production. Great. So we were really working on it. And very, that's why I say your show lives in a time that's current now. Even if it's set a long time ago, mm -hmm. you still have to take into account all the elements, how they, how they might land on your audience in a time you're living in right now. And I knew the antlers were gonna be a concern. And so we went back and worked them out. The other thing that it gave us time to do is cause I had this idea for the set. Mm -hmm. I had the upper level. And then I realized, you know, Evan's got one leg and is he gonna be comfortable going up and down the stairs all night long? Mm. And so we had those conversations. And the thing about Evan is he's like, I'll do anything, I'll try anything. So he was not, uh, concerned about it. We talked about the size of the space up there for the window. You know, we didn't do the um, the dropping petals of the flower okay. in the dome. We made a light box of the rose window that lives on the set. Okay. And the lights would go out so that eventually all the lights of the flowers mm. would go out. So we did a more stylized version of the rose um pedal dropping were you but it was still very effective very exciting were you able to speak with audience members particularly children and get a sense of what their response was to this production yeah it was tricky because of covid we weren't doing meet and greet at the right. end of the show and i know that the cast and i think when you speak with evan and jade um they'll tell you about the kinds of questions that they got at the questions and answers on kid matinees on student matinees okay um but i did hear audible responses especially the first preview i saw a young black woman about 30 and her daughter about 10 and when jade came out for her very first entrance i heard the little girl say is that Belle?" and the mother was like holding on to her yes i think it is and you could just feel the excitement and it was like i was sitting in the back and it was from down house right and i just like the hair on my neck just stood up and then after that performance a young woman came over to me and said that she had been adopted from russia and when she saw maurice take the matryoshka out of the contraption she lost it she just thought it was 
amazing to see her culture depicted in a fairy tale. And mm. so I was really pleased to hear her response. Yeah. What um, sort of We got some emails too. Oh, you know. got some emails. Okay. Yeah. What sort of allowances do you feel like you give yourself as a director when you say, um, we're starting from square one, nothing is presumed, we're not doing a replica. What does that sort of open up for you? Oh, that's completely liberating and it allows, and it invites my collaborators to start there as well. And what's great is, um, with somebody like Narelle, she's steeped in, in, in a sort of different kind of theater. She doesn't do a lot of musicals. Mm -hmm. I keep calling her when I'm going to do a classic musical <laughs> because she doesn't have any preconceived ideas about what it's supposed to be or what it's been. Not even what it's supposed to be, but what it's been. And so I say to her, I want to do this in an abandoned castle. She reads the script. She finds research. She brings that to me. And then I go, okay, so how do we do the, how do we do the forest scene? How do we do Belle's house? How do we do, how do we go to all these, how do we do the tavern? How do we mm. do all these locations inside of this, which she labeled as a psychological box, right? <laughs> it's this, you know, three-sided world and then we started to invent and make up magic and we bring in our lighting designer colin k bills and he starts to offer suggestions and ideas and riffing off of ideas and then our fight choreographer rob hunter and my longtime collaborator josh walden my choreographer who was there at the inception of all this and and you know we went to um only to do casting for the ensemble and by that time, Belle was cast, so she was reading with everybody and getting a sense of who she is and how to work with her. So, you know, it's to me, it's an opportunity and it's an invitation to really surrender yourself to the book, music and lyrics and let those dictate your choices. And then if you get some crazy idea, make sure that it's going to make sense in the words and the music of what your story is about do do Did you that have... answer you yes oh know. absolutely okay. absolutely okay uh, and then some okay do you have shows that you're sort of dying to do that with that you're dying to sort of sink your teeth into or maybe that you're dying to revisit that you've already taken a stab at well i have a whole new idea for ragtime Oh, really? Yeah, which I can't tell you about. No, it's but okay. It's That's completely, okay. completely turning it upside down a little bit. I don't know if I'll ever get the chance to do it. If I get invited to do it, mostly people want me to do what I did before. Okay. So uh, we'll see. Um, it's, a da it's a more dangerous choice, I think, this and new idea I have for it. But... Um, you know, I'm the girl who can't say no. Somebody <laughs> offers me a job and from anything from, you know, like my year that so far or since July, I did Smokey Joe's Cafe, which I reconceived as a love letter to St. Louis. And I set it in a, in a neighborhood that um, existed in that community for about 10 years during 
uh, the period in which Lieber and Stoller wrote their songs. So we set it in Gaslight Square and it got wonderfully received and, um, and it was very exciting. Then I did, then I was prepping Jersey Boys and Jersey Boys didn't end up happening. Um, uh, but then I did um, Evita and uh, I just, you know, did that in Chicago and people have been telling me that they're seeing it for the first time, even if they know the show because of the, some of the choices that I made. So, you know, again, in service to book music, lyrics, storytelling, I will always lean into um, figuring it out. I don't really have, I mean, I have a list of shows I'd love to do. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when you ask me if I'd ever, if I, if you asked me five years ago, is Beauty and the Beast on that list? I mean, it, it wasn't. Right. But okay. now that Jason asked me to do it and I've had, you know, I've worked on it for almost three years. It's like, yeah, okay, this is how you do it now. This is the way to do it. Right. So I like to, I like to, um, again, just mine it, go in there, make a big emotional mess, allow my <laughs> actors to really dig into their characters, to bring life and history to their characters and their journeys and, and, you know, go from there. So I don't really, I can't tell you right now, Oh, I have this really cool concept for this right. show because honestly, I, I, I need to say yes first. I need to get the offer. Mm -hmm. I need to say yes. And then I go crazy because it becomes 24 seven until opening night. Like mm -hmm. I, I just live with the material, you know, sleeping or awake. If I say yes to something, you get me, you get me like lock, stock and barrel. Your ragtime was, uh, drastic reimagining so it's funny when you say you know oh everyone wants me to sort of do that again when at one point it seems like that yeah I mean it's so interesting because when I was doing it it wasn't I never the the setting out to to break rules or reimagine or um rebrand that's a byproduct of okay they asked me to do this show mm -hmm. they asked me to I had already done Susical when Lynn and Steve and Terrence called me and they want, they said, do to, do to ragtime what you did to Susical. <laughs> <I was laughs> like, oh my God, wait, what are we talking about? So what I had to do, and I think this is a big lesson for young directors is I had to check the box of this is an important musical check. Mm -hmm. Now leave that checked box over here. Because if I am guided by, oh my God, this is an important musical. Oh my God, this is an important musical. I'll never get anywhere, uh -huh. right? So what I did was I checked the box. I said, okay, it's important. I'm gonna take really good care of it, but I gotta let myself go dream big, make mistakes, try things, you know? And then I was really lucky to get Derek McLean and Don Holder and Santo Laquasto. I mean, come on. So I had this crazy A plus 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 design team, and I was the new kid on the block. Going, okay. what if we did this? And what if we did this? And what if we did this? So, 
it was it was you know a heady experience and it was exciting but at the same time i was focused i knew what i wanted and and i was helped by them to be able to articulate it not just verbally but physically you know that mm -hmm. we were able to realize the production that i set out to make so it's really about giving yourself permission i think to respect your work put it aside don't ever lose it but then go in there and really challenge the text really mm. challenge the work and see how much it can take you did know? you feel did you have to sort of check a box and move it aside when you were tasked with reinventing susicle no, it was interesting about Susical. That just landed in a really amazing time. On It was sort of a perfect uh, meeting of the minds. I, I was a fairly new mom. I would sit in the schoolyard with uh, my daughter and my husband and watch the kids play. And it was like, bam, bam, bam. There's Horton. There's Maisie there's Gertrude, like I saw all the kids in the schoolyard. And I went to Barbara Pasternak um, and Lynn and Steve and I said, okay, I know exactly how to do this. So it was like weird. It was, it was Susical. Oh, okay. How do I, you know, okay. Theater Works USA, never worked there. I'd always wanted to work there, mm -hmm. you know, 20, 25, 30 years into my career. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Um, and I invited a really smart creative team, including Narelle Sissons, who I adore as my set designer, Tracy Christensen as my costume designer. And for the tour, you don't have a lighting designer, but Matt Richards joined us when we did it at the Lucille Lortel. Hmm. Um, but it was Tracy and, and Narelle, and it was really like, how do we tell this with, you know, a passion and a plank? And we need to create a jungle. So we came up with the idea of um, pool umbrellas, but we would take the skins off and then I would have them hang all of the flora and fauna and it was all found objects. So it was like oven mitts and badminton uh, rackets and ropes and things that were going to come into play later in the story. And oh, cool. so we created this little prologue and I set it in a schoolyard. Now we weren't literal. It was a red floor, a red and white striped trunk, trunk and a purple back, a purple wall. And that was it. And the kids came out kind of dressed in school clothes. And you met the sour kangaroo as this bossy little girl <laughs> with her, um, with her uh, stuffed animal kangaroo doll that she was carrying. And then you met Maisie and the bird girls and they were kind of like the mean girls. And then you met the Wickershams before they turn into the Wickershams. And they're those schoolyard bullies that are throwing a ball at the fat kid who walks in, uh, who becomes Horton. And Gertrude is kind of alone and she's got a birdcage and she's off to the side. And I sort of created the characteristics of these jungle characters as schoolyard characters. Hmm. And then they became the device to tell the story. And then our cat in the hat was everybody else. So anybody that was <laughs> anarchical was played by the cat. And so it was, you know, sort of 60 minutes of pure 
invention and fun and the and the clover was a loofah and the nest was a, a pool ring um, and a tree was one of the umbrellas and you know so it was all fill it in with your imagination kind of storytelling and it's my favorite thing to do and when we get to the ballads which is always tricky in a children's show mm -hmm. i was encouraged to ask the authors to cut sala salu oh. and i was like i'm not cutting sala salu no i love way. that song no so, way. so what we did was we susified sala salu so that the kids so all of a sudden here come the seuss creatures and eric wright my puppet designer created these beautiful characters one double character and two really tall ones and they came waddling out in the rhythm of the music and the kids in the audience were like i'm showing uh i'm like jaw drop big mouth wide-eyed opening they were quiet they were enraptured by it they loved it so i was really proud that we were able to visually do something and emotionally do something that kept the kids from squirming um but i'll tell you i got some of the best feedback of my career from colleagues and um people whose work i respect telling me they brought their kids and wow. um you know, another thing I learned early on in my career is that if you're doing a family show, mm -hmm. you, the parents are going to see it through a child's eye. Okay. They're not going to come there and relate to the grown-ups in the show. They're going to come and connect with the children. Do you think that you approach children's shows or family shows in a different way than you would approach something like ragtime or nope. one of the many okay nope because the kids are the smartest thing the smartest audience you'll ever play to and mm. they can smell bullshit a mile away and they will let you know and i learned early on never talk down to a child never and never baby talk them my daughter is adopted from Russia and she was kind of mature at 13 months. She didn't really have a baby talk voice. She was mm -hmm. very articulate. And I don't know if she probably helped shape that because we never talked to her like a baby. We, not that you're, you know, talking to her like, you know, she's in eighth grade when she's right. in kindergarten. But you know what I mean? It's like you don't, dumb it down for kids. Never mm. do that. Never do that. They're the smartest. I mean, they, you know, when we were working on Susical, we went and did it in a, in a cafetorium as a test, you know, performance mm -hmm. and came back and, you know, readjusted some things based on the response that we got, but they are smart and they see everything and they hear everything. <laughs> and so you can't, you can't bullshit them. You can't sneak something past them. So be truthful, dig into relationships, make sure you're all telling the same story and be as truthful as possible in the world that you create. And they're your best audience. I loved, I loved those theater works crowds. They were great. 
Amazing. Marsha, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Oh, my pleasure. We're done. I could we, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. And I know you're going to talk to uh, Evan and Jade. And I just want to say, I think Beauty and the Beast, I think I said it early on, is that it has great bones. I mean, it really is a classic Broadway musical. Great book scenes, great big production numbers, and romance and adventure and a key love story at the heart of it that is devised and built from true friendship, which is magnificent. I'm in, I'm in complete awe and respect and gratitude of Howard Ashman and Alan Menken and their original team because they, they really created something lasting. Mm. Well, thank you again, Marsha, and congratulations on the wild success of your production. Thank you so much. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Next, I'm chatting with Evan Ruggiero, who played the Beast in Only Theater's recent production. Evan is a singer one-legged tap dancer, motivational speaker, actor, and musician. In 2018, he received a Drama Desk nomination for Best Actor, a Cheetah Rivera Award nomination for Best Dancer, and was awarded a Clive Barnes Award in theater for his portrayal of Tom Jones in NYC's off-Broadway hit Bastard Jones. His other illustrious credits include performances at the Pittsburgh CLO, the 90th Academy Awards, and... The Kennedy Center. Evan, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your involvement with and your recent performance in Beauty and the Beast at the Only Theater. What was that like for you? Um, so it started, I want to say, late February of 2020. Um, I received uh, an email from one of my agents asking if I would be interested to audition for Only Theater, uh, Only Theater Center's Beauty and the Beast um, for the role of the Beast. And I was a little bit hesitant at first because mm-hmm. um, I never saw myself as the Beast, uh, certainly voice type, uh, <laughs> I, I sing pretty high. Uh, and uh, the Beast uh, is definitely more of a bass baritone and Um, I always kind of thought that, hey, like, wouldn't it be fun to play uh, Lumiere and do this like candlestick peg leg tap dance and be our guest? Oh, cool. Isn't that what like everyone wants to see? It's just like, right. And um, 
<laughs> I asked my I asked my agents if if I could also audition for uh, Lumiere, uh-huh. and so the team got back to them and was like, "Yeah, sure, he could audition for Lumiere, whatever." And uh, there was some scheduling conflicts. I was on the road at the time, and then my tour got canceled because of COVID. And so we were able to make one day in New York City where the entire team could be there. And we just, it was the last thing I did before the actual shutdown. And mm. I met Marsha and Josh um, and I read and sang for Lumiere and it was fun. And it was like, okay, cool. And then I read and sang for the beast. And I just remember having so much more fun in uh, with that character during the audition. And I knew that Jade Jones had been cast as Belle mm-hmm. uh, when I got to that audition. Marsha was telling me about Jade and she was so excited about this. And after my audition, I remember leaving and, and just hoping that I was going to be the beast. I was like, forget Lumiere, the hell with that. Mm. Like, I really want to be the beast. Like, that's something that I could really, you know, sink my teeth into and, and really act and really sing. And, it, and it's different. Um, and it's also the direction in which I wanted to go with, um, uh, more so with my career. Um, I have been tap dancing my entire life. And when I lost my leg, I retaught myself how to tap dance again. And I've been traveling the world for the last 11, uh, like 10, 11 ish years, um, touring and doing a lot of motivational speaking and tap festivals and, and performances where I'm just tap dancing. And I've always tried to incorporate my singing into that as well to just and and my music just so I could be you know doing a million different things on stage at once um but my true passions lie with musical theater and getting to sing dance and act but really just like sing and act in some like meaty role and Mm. so finally uh it was about a week after the shutdown um and I received an email that was an offer for the beast and I was like absolutely let's do this and I was so excited um accepting that role and things just kind of got pushed off because of the pandemic and right initially we were supposed to uh do the show around like november of 2020 and then that got pushed off and they they asked if i if i was available for may of 2021 and then that got pushed off and then we went we just wound up doing it an entire year later um so november 2021 um and yeah, and, and it was probably one of the most incredible experiences of my life because um, I got to do something that I, I never thought I would, I would be able to do as far as, as, as being this character. Um, and everything, everything about it was just so real and truthful uh, in the way that we told the story. I think the coolest thing about the show is that we didn't change a single line or, or lyric to a song. Mm. Um, and it really, it really allowed us as actors and the audience to really think about what this story is about. Like, is it like, I love the movie. The movie was, the movie is my favorite Disney movie. Mm -hmm. I played out the VHS, uh, the the VHS tape when I was four years old, I ran up and down my parents' stairs, like in my house saying, it's forbidden, it's forbidden. (laughs) like the beast's lines and so I, I always had a connection to this movie um when I saw the musical uh, let's see I was probably around 
like nine or ten years old i saw it a, i saw it a couple times um mm. with with a summer camp I, and i the really honestly the only thing i, I remember was that i saw it with crystal uh, with christy carlson romano okay so, wow <laughs> that's it like that like that's what i remember i i remember that because um i was like a big nickelodeon kid and like mm-hmm. they and like wb and they would always have like commercials of it and like and now playing bell christy carlson romano oh wow um and but other than that i i really couldn't tell you (laughs) about the stage musical Mm -hmm. um i just know i just knew the movie um and so coming into this production i mean it it was exciting because audience members always see you know i mean i mean specifically speaking about uh bell they always see her as just like the skinny white girl and you know we have Jay Jones, who is this plus size queer black woman, and it's just so refreshing. And to get to play the beast with one leg and to show that I'm missing a leg um, and to show these two people who have their differences in in this town where the movie shows that I mean, the movie shows Bella's is perfect, but this perfect yet odd um, woman and the beast as this hideous disfigured monster and we really got to dive into that story more um with the beast as well um and why he's this monster and why he's hideous and disfigured Mm. and there's no there's no written text at all about what he goes through and so we gave the story this this subtext and this and this deeper meaning Um, and so in the beginning of the show we have the young prince prince adam um, you know, soon to be the beast, um, you see him in a wheelchair and you see that he's missing a leg mm. and you kind of, you kind of wonder like, okay, what's going on with that? And, and why is, why is he disabled? And, you know, we gave this backstory that, you know, there was this terrible accident and it left both of his parents, uh, and, and, it, and it killed both of his parents and it left him maimed, you know, with one mm. leg. And, he's just so angry all the time because of his disability and because he, he can't get around and because he has to rely on uh, the house staff to help him with everything. Um, you know, leading up to the, to the point where he meets, you know, the enchantress and he's just like, yeah, okay. Like whatever, like you're this ugly old witch, like get out of here who then transforms him into a beast. Um, and I think in that moment um, it, it def- we definitely got a couple of gasps in the audience um, because the young boy retracts um, backstage and I just do like a little like whoop, and the beast comes out. And I, and I, I remember walking out a few times and, and having the audience just be like, Oh my, like, and, and it's mm. not, I don't think it, I, and we didn't do a lot with like facial prosthetics or anything like that. And so I just had like a very big beard and uh, horns in my head and long hair. But I think the overall shock of seeing someone with one leg, come out like with just um you know a peg leg um they weren't uh really expecting it so and so you i know have done and have gotten to do some programming around the show with marcia mm-hmm. and sort of talking about inclusivity and accessibility mm-hmm. in theater um yeah. I'd, I'd love to we hear have later yeah. tonight oh it's tonight we have one yeah we have one tonight <laughs> okay I, i'd love to know a little bit about like what has that work looked like that you've done to sort of augment and extend the conversation beyond just what's being seen on stage? Yeah. I mean, 
I, I a lot of it is just is 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 really just having conver- like just truthful conversations about about you know diversity in the arts, um, people of color as as well as are, uh, uh, as well as artists with uh, disabilities, um, and and I think there's this there's this barrier that happens with uh, the actor and then uh, casting director slash director producer you know the other mm. side of the table and um sometimes i wonder is it is it is it just like their inability to think outside the box or is it just that they're scared um is it that they don't want to get involved because they're just like i don't know how to deal with that and mm. or or kind of or 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 block someone or, or choreograph somebody with a disability and it's just too much and I don't have the time to do it. Mm-hmm. What is it? You know what? So my big thing is just have these, have these conversations up front with casting directors and with directors and producers about, Hey, look, this is what I'm capable of and this is what I can do. And me personally, when it, when it comes to this, it's, I, I don't ever set any limits um and so i just so and so they're like hey yeah can you jump can you run can you spin can you I'm like yeah sure i could do whatever this person mm. can do with two legs i'm not worried about it um and it's funny because like when you're sitting on the other when you're sitting on the other side of the table and and you're looking for the, for the right person you know you want to see that confidence right and so mm-hmm. if somebody comes in there and you know they have one leg and they're like yeah like i could, I could literally do whatever you want me to do like i'm not it's this is not you know putting any sort of limitations on my movement um mm. now granted there are some things that i'm like yeah okay like that's 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 we're just gonna have to modify this a little bit but we had so much fun with beauty and the beast and modifying movement and showing the audience that here's the beast and he's running up 16 stairs like up and down and up and down and we had the whole fight with gaston and um we wanted to be so truthful in everything that we did with this show and um one of the big things with the fight was uh there's a moment in the fight where gaston um beats me down Mm -hmm. i'm kind of cowering at the bottom of the stairs and then he grabs me by my peg leg and he drags me across the stage and it's this moment in which that definitely got some audible like (gasps) and yeah even hearing that described is very graphic and people and and at first our artistic director was like okay okay like uh, it's it's a lot like it's Uh it's a lot and then and i and i told marsha i said marsha like if you need me to like step in and say something about it like i'm happy to like go to bat for you but like it's such a truthful moment in the show as far as like okay these two these two men are fighting each other and Mm -hmm. why wouldn't gaston exploit a weakness in the beast you know why wouldn't he say hey the beast is missing a leg like i'm just gonna pull him by by his peg leg because he can't do anything about it he can't really kick me with his foot you know Mm -hmm. he doesn't have foot and and this is what i'm going to do to humiliate him in this moment to say yeah you are nothing like i am you know gaston is saying i am a man i am this man here and you are just this disfigured animal she could never love you she loves me um and so it was it was just one of those moments that we were like yeah we 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 need to do this <laughs> this is cool and then we did it and people 
and it was definitely talked about uh, in some reviews it was talked about, but in not in any sort of negative way, in a way that was like, this was this was so gross. And it it kind of showed the audience how disgusting Gaston could be. And and Michael Burrell, who played Gaston, is is an incredible actor and singer and dancer. And he, and he was my roommate during the time. And he's a wonderful mm. and he's a wonderful guy. <laughs> and I love him so much. Um, but it, it was just crazy how how that moment like really kind of took took the show to this different to this to this next level of like oh yeah like we went there because a lot of time I'm, I'm just I'm just like going on and on no, right go now. for it but um you know it's it's it was so interesting because we had so many first timers seeing our show so first many first timers like had never seen theater like before? yeah first timers wow. who had never seen Beauty and the Beast like so many young kids and even adults who had never seen Beauty and the Beast it was like like you never saw the movie never saw the show didn't know oh, anything wow. about and it was it was really something to watch their reaction to the show and see how the how each character plays an important part to the story but also see similarities and differences i mean we had young uh, you know, uh young black girls saying oh my god bell looks just like me like mm. like it's so cool to see you know someone who looks like me be a princess and then we had people um, who, who were disabled. You know, we had a guy in a wheelchair who was just like, that was incredible. I never thought that I would see somebody like me on stage taking on that role. Um, and I think the interesting thing about the character arc of Gaston is that for the first time we're seeing the show, you know, these kids, you know, they kind of come out and they see and they see Gaston as this like, you know, this strong man who has this attraction to bell and are they like okay like he's he's the hero of the story and then mm -hmm. they see the beast and they're like that guy is bad like that's the bad guy of the story mm -hmm. like they don't understand him and we had this like crazy beast voice on me as like most of it was me uh-huh i don't like resembled like uh christopher nolan's batman like when uh christian uh, christian bell did batman okay. kind of so it was just like it's forbidden kind of thing mm. but then like we had this like amplified like uh effect on it so it, it was it was crazy um so kids so like kids were like okay like that's the bad guy of the story the beast is not the good guy and then they see this kind of transformation of characters where the story is like okay like gaston is the good guy and the beast is the bad guy and somewhere they meet in the middle here as like okay i don't know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy because i like gaston and i like the beast and then they kind of see it go like no, no 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 we're definitely rooting for the beast at the end and gaston is just being a huge bully and you know beating him up do you so think it's, was that a consideration for you to say you know is this going to be a negative to sort of associate disability with this character who in the beginning we do perceive as the right. villain um i no i i don't think so and i in all, in all honesty i never i never thought about it um mm -hmm. and i kind of i was i think overall i was so excited because i was so attached to the story and to the and to the movie um mm -hmm that I was like, yes, like, this is, this is what it needs to be. Like, this is cool. Like, this is something different. And I mean, me knowing the show so well, and, you know, from, from the movie, I was like, yes, right. like, this is like, I get to be this like dark, disturbed beast 
who is different and he's disfigured, yes, like he should be missing a leg or he, you know, he should have some sort of disability as well. And then I get to, I get to redeem myself in the end. And the cool thing about it in the end is that when it came to the transformation, we didn't do any sort of like, I had all my friends asking me like, Oh my God, like, are you, are you going to grow your leg or like, or like, oh, are you going to switch legs? Are you going to put your other leg? Cause I have like a bunch of different legs. Uh-huh. Uh, one of them like being like super bionic and high tech. And I was like, no, like, no, like I, I'm, I get to be like me with a peg leg still. So like, Mm. I I like I redeem myself but it's still me and there's a moment where I'm now transformed and I'm you know Prince Adam and uh Bella's looking at me and she's like who and like I don't have long hair anymore you know and horns are gone and uh, you know the whole thing all of it's gone but I'm still missing a leg and Bella's like who's this guy and like there's the moment where like she looks at my leg and she's like holy crap yeah that that that's my beast that's still Mm. him and then you know there's there's the big kiss you know you know the big embrace and it's just yeah then everyone's like wow like he he learned how to love him not only bell but himself so and so this show got a huge response um i'm aware of it from (laughs) seeing it on tiktok seeing you know kids (laughs) talking about it i'd love to hear a little bit about you know what is your interaction with the response you got? Um, yeah, it, it was, it was crazy. Um, we, I mean, I, I kind of had this feeling in the beginning. I was like, I think this is going to be pretty big. Like, I think okay. something like kind of had this like feeling. I was like, mm, like, like, we're definitely doing something different here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I had been, I had been in a couple productions where I was kind of like, oh yeah, like, like something like where like, it was kind of like brew up and I'm like, okay, <laughs> but Jade, but Jade was just like, I didn't even, Jade was like, what's happening? What's happening to my life? What's this? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jade just like, just live in this moment, just take, and like her videos were being shared all over the world of her singing home. And I was just like, yeah, Jade, I was so, I was just so excited and, and a lot and yeah it, i just remember just like like the first things that were coming out on instagram and tiktok about the production and people finally saying like yes like this is how beauty and the Beast should be cast and mm. um yeah we we were just so excited and, and we were just in the moment with it and we did a ton of different uh interviews during that time and like little kind of zoom pop-up performances and um uh Alan Menken was uh, he he reached out and he was so excited about wow. it. Shaman at one point we did a show with Seth Radetzky and Mark Shaman and uh, Sierra Bogus and they were all like, oh yeah, we love this production. Was and- that was that nerve wracking to know that Alan Menken knows about your performance, has ostensibly seen it? No, I think I, I think I think it gave me like confidence i think it gave me more confidence I was like yeah like all right i'm doing it like yeah. here we go this is it like i am the beast now i'm curious um, yeah with this so, role especially because um initially i was i i was a little bit nervous because because of my voice type you know i mean i i i'm i'm a tenor you know that's okay. it I'm a, I'm a tenor and okay. i'm taking on this role who is who is who is a baritone and 
um, you know, the notes are a little bit lower. And then at the end of uh, If I Can't Love Her, you know, they, they don't really, they don't, where they sat in my voice, it wasn't like I was like pushing. I w- it didn't seem like I was like trying almost. And I wanted, I wanted to have a truthful performance. And so um, we, at, at, in all honesty, we actually just raised the key. We just went up a whole step. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so I felt more comfortable seeing it. And it wasn't anything like absurd. It wasn't like I was like wailing on like high A's or like B flats or anything. It was, it was just like, like, just like one step up. So like it, it still, we still had the low notes. We still had like, you know, like the meat there. And, but I was just so, uh, I, I personally was like, oh man, like people are going to be like, wow, like he shouldn't be playing that part. He shouldn't play that part. What is he doing? Like, what is he doing singing that song? And then, and then when, uh, uh, uh Terrence, uh, Terrence Mann and, um, uh, Alan Menken uh, got the videos. They were like, "Yeah, this is incredible." I was like, Whew. "Wow, oh. oh yeah." Do you think is your dance experience something that you relied on for this role that isn't really a dancing role? Yeah, we had. It <laughs> wasn't really any dance in in, in it. I, I mean, we did do the whole ballroom dance uh, during mm-hmm. uh, the, the title song, "Beauty and the Beast." Um. But I, but I, you know, I think, I think my dance experience in general allowed me to become a more balanced and center, uh, centered performer and human being when it came to my amputation, because I learned so much about my core and, and weight transfer and balance that that all came into play when I was learning how to walk again and tap dance again. Um, and so that training um i think allowed me to be comfortable in the space and to take risks and and to um uh, to take the risks that i do take um because most of the times i'll have like the director of choreography say hey like are you comfortable doing this can you do this i'm like yeah sure whatever like yeah sure i'll i'll, I'll fall down the stairs <laughs> mm. I'll, I'll run up the stairs i'll fight him i'll get you know do this yeah we could do that um, I'll jump, you know, I'll, I'll do this ballroom dance or we had the, we had the wolf fight. That mm. was exciting. So much, so much stage combat <laughs> in the show. And there were moments where I'd be like ducking and I'd have a wolf on my back and, or I would jump and I would use my peg leg as like, like a sword and I would like swing it at, uh, uh, one of the wolves. So we, d- we did whatever we could to get, um, you know, as involved as possible and creative when it came to my legs and my ability and what I could do with others. Mm. So if there are listeners out there who are young people who are performers who have disabilities, do you have thoughts or advice for them when they're considering taking on a role like this? Oh yeah. I would, I would say, I would say don't, don't, don't let, don't let uh, your disability hold you back in any way um, and be creative with it. Um, <clears throat> it's like what I was saying before, it's just to have that open and honest conversation with the team about, about what you can do and, and what you, and I don't want to say what you can't do because, you know, any, any time that someone, that someone asks me like, Oh, Hey, can you do this? And I was like, no, I can't do it. Then I feel like, no, wait a second. Wait. <laughs> Let me uh let me uh, take a crack at that. Hold on a second, mm. and then figure out ways in which I in in which I can. Um, so 
Yeah. Yeah. Just always, just always be confident about, about what you can do. Um, I don't really think that, that there should be any limitations on, you know, any parts, whether you're disabled, uh, or not. Um, I think it's, it's all about, you know, you be, you know, you, know, you being creative in, in that role and, and what you bring to it. Um, so I'm excited to see the future of theater. Um, I, I mean, I, I wish we had, we had more conversations about this um, years ago and, and even more for the future, because I, I definitely still think that uh, it's, it needs to be said. And um, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Do you think you know? are, these, are these conversations starting <clears throat> to happen more now, would you say? Um, they're starting to happen more. It, the, I th- truthfully, I think the, the, the big thing that happens is, you know, there's a show that comes along and, you know, it happened with Beauty and the Beast. It happened with Oklahoma and Ali Stroker. It happened with me when I was doing Bastard Jones in New York. Um, uh, it happens with Spring, you know, Spring Awakening uh, and Death mm-hmm. West and that there's a show every once in a while that comes along and it features uh, an actor with a disability or it stars an actor with a disability. And we, you know, the media is so like, Oh my gosh, like, this is so amazing. This is so amazing. And, and they want to, they want to talk about it and they want to say, yeah, like, look at what the show is doing. And I think that those conversations are, those articles are important and those conversations are important to have. And at the same time, it's also I think there, I think there comes a point where it's, why do we have to also talk about it and make such a big deal out of it? Like it's, Hey, the first, the first amputee to play the beast or, Mm -hmm. you know, or some, you know, something like that when it's like, no, just like, let it happen. Like if it was, if it was the right person for the job and, Mm -hmm. and you know, the directors and choreographers are saying, yeah, like we're excited about this and we want to make art and we want to, you know, try something different Then let it happen. Um, it kind of, it kind of feels like sometimes it becomes like a, like this, like, like media kind of bragging contest of like, mm. Hey, like first to this first that, and we're, mm. ha- we're now hiring this person and Hey, we cast this one. And, it just becomes like, oh man, like just, just do it. And who, you know, right. who cares? Who cares? Like, you know, I, I think people, people are going to appreciate what they see on stage um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, and, and as opposed to like, hey, let's, let's try and get more people to come and see our show because we cast the person with a disability mm-hmm. or because we cast the person of color. Um, where I think, you know, the minimum should be, yeah, we are casting people of color and we're casting actors with disabilities. Like it, there shouldn't have, it shouldn't have to be like a, Hey, let's do this so that we can try and, you know, show people like, yeah, we're, we're trying to do the right thing by mm. doing that. So. If, if there are producers listening, do you have roles in musical theater that you are kind of dying to sink your teeth into? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah i got i have three on my list <laughs> what are the three that's awesome three on my list i got fiero uh king george and the phantom of the opera that's it wow okay yep. wow yep do you think doing the beast such a like vocally challenging role did that sort of 
open any mental doors for you to say phantom schmantum i can do it now yeah yeah definitely well yeah yeah because i i always kind of felt like oh man i gotta be a little bit older and like that's totally oh. fine and then and then i was like oh you know what actually maybe uh, uh i don't know but either way i i want to I, I gotta check them off i gotta i gotta hit my Fiero, and then i guess phantom or king george but fiero and then once i pass through that one day then i'll be like okay now i'm ready for the next two so amazing well thank you so much for making the time to chat with me today this was absolutely fabulous yeah thank you i had a good time Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.